they specifically felt led to be in Afghanistan. I mean, it was a strong calling on their lives. Juan Pierre, JP, was shot nine times. And honestly, I, I broke down. In fact, my wife has never seen me break down like that before. And she did as well. And we started praying for the family. This is what our purpose is. This is what we must do because Werner exemplified what it means to live for Christ, what it means to die for Jesus. And there, there is no other type of life worth living. One of the great blessings of traveling and ministering on behalf of the Voice of the Martyrs is meeting bold, on-fire believers serving Jesus in hostile and restricted nations. VOM workers literally get to sit down with modern-day heroes of the faith. But that great blessing comes with a heavy burden, too, especially when those believers, people we know and love, people with whom we've shared fellowship and meals and car rides, come under severe persecution. Today, we'll talk with Jeremy, a part of VOM's international team, about that burden. We'll hear what it's like to get a phone call that one of our partners, a, a close friend, has been gunned down in Afghanistan. This week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Our guest today is Jeremy, one of the guests that will just use a first name because of security considerations. Jeremy's a deputy regional director in our international department here at VOM. He travels all over the world connecting with Christians who face persecution, as well as facilitating VOM's help to them. Jeremy, welcome to our studio. Thank you, Todd. It's great to be here. We're going to talk today uh, about a, a sad story, really, and, and what I want to do is uh, it's a personal story to you. It, it hit very close to home for you, and so I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, tell us about uh, November 29th, November 30. What were you doing uh, when you received a, a very sad news from Afghanistan? Well, it was about... 10 a.m. Um, our time, I received a phone call from a dear friend who I'd actually traveled to Afghanistan with on a number of occasions in the past, and uh, she was crying, and she said that um, some of our close partners in the country, our close friends in the country, uh, had just been killed uh, just hours earlier. Um, the The names of these of these partner of, of this this group, um, Werner Groenwald his wife, Hanali, and their two children, Juan Pierre, also goes by JP, and Rodi. Uh, JP was 15, or 17 years old. Rodi was, was only 15. Um, and these are, these are people you knew. These are people that we've spent much time with, um, especially over the past year. Uh, they, they have been partners, a partnering ministry of ours. And I, I've known Werner personally for uh, over four years now. And been in their home and had dinner with the family. and Yes. In fact, their home is where we quite often held some meetings. 
Um, and so we were there uh, about every visit, so at least once a year. And their home was where they were attacked. It was. Um, they lived uh, upstairs uh, in a two-story building, and their offices were downstairs. They worked with a group uh, called Partnership in Academics and uh, Development, which uh, the focus of, of, we'll call it PAD for short, was really to educate Afghan children, both uh, boys and girls, um, equal education, which, as most of you know, is very rare to find inside of Afghanistan uh, for girls to be able to get an education. And there was uh, a strong moral emphasis on the type of education that they were receiving. Um, Werner was the director of some of this work, and uh, they had been in the country since 2002, so uh, about 12 years. Yeah, so they've been in the country for a long time. They're, they specifically felt uh, led to be in Afghanistan. I mean, it was a strong calling on their lives. Um, the, the last time I was with them in March, we went out to dinner together. And I remember talking to Werner, you know, asking him, uh, you know, the, moving your family out to such a dangerous country, uh, attacks happening all around him, um, the Taliban, uh, how do you raise children in that type of in environment? And I remember him shrugging it off, uh, almost uh, kind of nonchalantly uh, laughing, saying, well, you know, our... our we're living according to the will that God has on our lives and and just kind of kind of downplaying the danger, the threats, saying that, well, the area of our of town where we live isn't usually attacked. That all goes on in other areas. Um, but but it wasn't he wasn't saying that to be irresponsible, but rather because he completely trusted the Lord with his life. They knew they were supposed to be there. Um, talking to his 15 year old daughter, Rhodey, um, kind of asking her how she felt about living in Afghanistan. Well, uh, she didn't like it, you know, <laughs> not many. I mean, we can all understand that not many girls would like growing up in that type of culture. Uh, but she knew that God had a calling on her parents' lives, and therefore he had a calling on her life, and she was willing to be there um, faithfully. And she tried to, you know, she did the best she could as a teenage girl living in that culture, being homeschooled, um, trying to make friends. I, it, it, it's difficult, but, um, but she knew the purpose of them being there. Tell me about the morning. You get this phone call. What's, what's your first thought? You hear that, that their home has been attacked, that they've been killed. What goes through your mind? You know, immediately when I received the phone call, I, I wasn't sure how to respond. I, I wanted some more verification. I didn't know where that news had come from. My friend, I, I, I wanted to be strong for her. She was crying. And so I, it was a very short phone call. It struck me hard. I immediately called my wife in to pray. Uh, we looked online and I, I saw reports that confirmed what she had said. And honestly, I, I broke down. Um, in fact, my wife has never seen me break down like that before, and she did as well. And we started praying for the family. Um, Werner, I, I, to explain what happened, uh, three gunmen uh, entered the building. Uh, there's there's different stories about how they came into the building, um, but we know that they killed uh, the the guard, 
standing outside, broken, went immediately down to the basement where there was a gathering of both, uh, uh, mainly Afghans. Uh, Werner was with them. They opened, fired. Uh, they killed one of the Afghans. They shot Werner. He was, he was injured, but he he was was still alive. And they shot three others, uh, injured three others. They immediately left the room and made their way upstairs. And Werner's first thought um, was his children and going up after them. And so he tried to make his way upstairs, following them to warn his kids. And he was too late. Uh, the kids were uh, killed in their in their home upstairs where they lived, uh, studying in their rooms for their exams, which were coming up. Uh, Juan Pierre, JP, was shot nine times. We later heard, and Rhodey was uh, shot seven times. And then Werner, it's it's unknown whether he he made it to the room or not, but but he was. He was killed at, when they were coming back downstairs. It was it was a very targeted attack on the foreign workers um, uh, that were serving there. Uh, and this family uh, was South African. Hannah Lee, Werner's wife, was uh, not not at home at the time. And thankfully, praise the Lord. Um, but she was on her way home. Uh, the police showed up when they heard the news of what was going on. A gun battle, uh, uh, you know, occurred after, and the the gunmen inside the building uh, were were killed. Um, one had detonated a, a suicide vest. The office was completely burned out. A lot of the materials of the office workers were destroyed, um, uh, and the the Taliban. Uh, men were killed. Um, one of the things about radical Islam, they do an attack like this and then they brag about it. The Taliban took full credit for the attack. What did they say was the reason for that? They immediately um, took credit for the attack. And a Taliban spokesman said that uh, it was a hub for missionary activity. Um, that's that's his uh, quote directly from him. And that is why they targeted this specific building. Now, Werner um, and Hanley uh, were known to be believers. They didn't hide their faith. Um, they were very faithful believers, and it was very evident, as I said earlier, the reason that they were there was to serve the Lord because that's where the Lord had called them. Um, and they were faithful in doing that. And and for that reason, um, they were targeted. And, you know, similar attacks uh, over the past year have occurred. I mean, Werner knew the risks. Uh, up in Herat, there were two Christian foreign women who were working, um, who were shot point blank in a taxi cab several months earlier uh, and killed. Uh, the Cure Hospital in Kabul was attacked several months ago. Um, it was a Christian-run hospital. A doctor named Jerry and, and two other uh, colleagues were, were killed in that attack. Um, there was another gathering place of, of expats uh, known to be Christians um, in March that was attacked. And thankfully, it had less impact than was initially intended. But this has been going on pretty constantly. Now, other, other foreigners in the country have been attacked as well. But there is a very specific targeting towards uh, Christian aid groups 
um, who have been working in the country. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. How does that affect your plans? Because you said, you know, you've been there, you've been in their home. How do you prepare for a trip like that uh, from a spiritual standpoint as well as from a, a security standpoint? What are, the, what are the thought processes that you go through? Well, you know, when, when this happened, my wife and I really prayed through this. Um, she saw the impact that it had on me and how much um, it caused me just to, to think things through, ask the questions, you know, why did this happen, uh, especially to these young children uh, who were brought to the field, um, trying to process it all. And, it, you know, we working at Voice of the Martyrs, we deal with this stuff somewhat often, and, but every time it happens, it's, it's, it's fresh. You, it, you never get used to it, and you have to process it each time, especially when the family's close to you. Um, and through those discussions with my wife, through a lot of prayer, um, you know, I, I think ultimately it wasn't for us who were actually planning to relocate to the field into some of these difficult areas. We've lived on the field in the past. And it, it, it wasn't, man, I'm, I'm fearful to take our, my family and my, my, my new baby daughter to the field. It's more... This is what our purpose is. This is what we must do because Werner exemplified what it means to live for Christ, what it means to die for Jesus. And there, there, is, there is no other type of life worth living. I mean, it, to live in fear and to be afraid of going over there and to serving would be a wasted life if we are not being, if we are not obedient to the, to the call that God has on our lives. And it, it, it takes a while to get to that point sometimes to be able to say that. And that's definitely not the immediate reaction. But, you know, this this attack occurred almost two months ago now. Talking to Werner's wife, Hanalee, the joy that she has, uh, the hope in Christ that she has, the way she's handling that, the situation, losing her husband, her children, everything she owns. Um what else can I say as an outsider? I lost friends. She lost everything. And she's, she wants to still be engaged with the, with the work that they were doing. She, she may even want to go back. Um, for us, even at Voice of the Martyrs, visiting these countries, taking our families to the field, um, going in and out as we do to, to work with the local church and to bless um, uh, local uh, mission efforts, is a very small risk compared to what what these guys are giving their lives for living on the field, and putting that into perspective, um, what you know, Hanley's testimony, um, it just it, it makes you think, this is our purpose. This is this is the Lord's will. He has a redemptive plan in this, and we need to be obedient and and live according to His His calling, because ultimately, what what are our lives lived for if not to serve him. Um, and I, I think, well, I know that Werner would say the same thing. One of his, his final quotes when speaking at a church in, in South Africa just several months before the attack, um, he talked about counting the cost of following Jesus. And he said, uh, we only die once, so it might as well be for Jesus. He had counted the cost and he made the choice to go and to bring his family there. He knew what the risks were. Um, 
and I think he would do it over again, even if he knew what the results would be, um, because right now he is in the presence of our Lord, and the legacy that he has left behind and Hanley has left behind will continue in the lives of those that they worked with. Um, that is something that will not be destroyed, um, and it's something that cannot be repeated. Um, and, and to see that legacy, to see how God is working through all this now uh, is tru truly phenomenal. And it's interesting how God does that. You know, I think back to the uh, the five martyrs in Ecuador in, you know, 50-plus years ago. Mm. This widely publicized story. Life magazine has pictures. Um, there's a whole generation of missionaries that are retiring now that God used that story to say, hey, I want you to work for me. Mm. Let's go. Uh, and as you talk about legacy, you know, we wonder... Who are the people that are hearing this story? They're they're hearing about Werner, and God's using that story to say, "Hey, I want you to go to Afghanistan. I want you to go to this place, and I want you to serve." So, uh, I love that you brought up legacy because I think as we tell these stories, we're helping that process. Uh, we're sharing that legacy and letting God then use it to call people and and strengthen people and encourage people. Um, so that's a great legacy to leave. Definitely. And Werner uh, truly did leave a legacy in the country. Um, there are numerous uh, fruits of, of their work, uh, which we can't go into detail here. But not only did they, did they build up a strong work inside the country, um, Hanalee, uh, Werner's wife, continues to to even build on that legacy even after her husband's death and it, it's it's been amazing hearing the stories that have that have come from those who have witnessed the way she has responded uh, to what has happened rather than uh, accusing God and and being uh, consumed by grief um, instead as I you know as I said she's she's just so, joyful and is actually an encouragement to me when I talk to her. I think, man, I should be encouraging her, uh, but she's she's such an encouragement. And through that response, I, talking to her home church in South Africa, they even mentioned a story of, of a woman who watched her and how she would react to the, to the situation, and as a result came to faith because wow. of that. Um, so that legacy is continuing um, even after Werner's death. And again, it just shows that our Lord is redemptive and he has a plan in this and we don't know what that plan is. And sometimes we don't always get to see the fruit of that plan immediately. Um, we get to see glimmers of that fruit as we, as, as the, we did in the story I just shared where this woman came to faith. But I, I think the big picture, uh, it'll be a while before, before we see the big picture. Um, and we may never see it in our lifetime, but, but how, unbelievable how awesome it will be when we when we stand before the Lord and we're standing alongside Werner um, through eternity and and God reveals that picture to us and what he did uh, to redeem the situation Jeremy I, I know there's a lot that you cannot say uh, about Afghanistan but can you give our listeners a little understanding of the Afghan church I know it's a very uh, 
closed country. The Taliban seems to be gaining sway again, uh, and obviously they're very much opposed to the church. Uh, but can you give us just uh, a, a bird's eye view of, of what's happening in Afghanistan for the gospel? Uh, there are um, some some great things happening, um, and there there have been some some setbacks, of course, along the way. Uh, the church is is very small, um, primarily meets underground. Obviously, in Afghanistan, I mean, to get to the very basics, uh, they're not allowed. Christians are not allowed to to worship freely, openly. There are no church buildings. Um, Nearly every believer in Afghanistan is a convert from Islam, which makes it very dangerous. They don't only deal with social pressures, family pressures, often being uh, kicked out of their homes or even killed, honor killings for coming to the Lord, but also uh, sometimes government pressures. If the government finds out who they are and and what they've done, uh, they'll be called apostates, which is according to Sharia law, Islamic law, in strict nations like Afghanistan, uh, they could be killed uh, for apostasy. Um, of course, the, the government in place now wouldn't necessarily institute that, um, but with with pressures from the Taliban who strongly support that, you just never know what will happen if, if a believer is found out and taken in. Taken in. Um, so as a result, the church does meet underground, very small gatherings. And when persecution occurs, as it did um, in 2010, when several believers were arrested, uh, the church uh, basically just just disperses, and people become believers become very isolated. Many uh, even flee the country, uh, worried that uh, those who were arrested will reveal who they are, mm-hmm. because it is such a close community. People tend to tend to know each other and stick together. So. It, it, when persecution occurs, it, it often takes uh, quite a long time for um, the church to reunite. Jeremy, one of the, as we kind of finish up today, one of the things we always want to do is is invite people to pray. Uh, so I'd like to ask you first. I know you've been in contact with Hana Lee. How can we pray for her? What should our listeners pray for her during this time of grief and, and transition in her life? I think. Hanalee is in a place where um, she's she's trying to seek the Lord and figure out what's next for her life. Talking to her, um, she she wants to be involved. She wants to jump back in, um, and she's just I think just trying to figure out the best way to do that while dealing with with so much grief. Trying to take her time, I think, to grieve, but at the same time, um, not wanting to. Not wanting this downtime, uh, really seeing, again, God's calling for her life that he had given her years before and, and continuing to pursue that. So um, I, I guess a prayer that she she can balance um, her life so that she doesn't do too much too quick, but also just finding the, the, the right people um, and right uh, vocation uh, to pursue moving forward. And, and Hana Lee is a, is a surgeon— um, a, was a great surgeon in South Africa before even moving to Kabul and continued her practice uh, at clinics there in Kabul um, while, you know, of course, supporting her husband, Werner. Um, but she's she's sharp, um, and I, I don't see her being idle for too long. Talk about now, 
how we can pray for Afghanistan, for the country as a whole, for the church there, um, because we also want to encourage people to pray for that nation, uh, where obviously the the spiritual needs are very great. I would pray uh, for the church to truly be seeking the Lord's will in their lives. I, I think the immediate inclination when things uh, persecution occurs is to to run and hide and trying to protect their families. I mean. I, I, most of us in the West would would react the same yeah, way. It's a very understandable reaction. It really is, and wanting to leave the country. I mean, there there's not much future in Afghanistan, especially for for those who are younger. And anybody who can get to the West uh, usually tries to. Um, so very few want to stay, especially um, when they have connections outside. So just pray for for wisdom that the Lord would really speak to the local body and that they would listen to his voice rather than their flesh or their fear. Now, maybe the Lord wants them to be out, um, and that's fine. But as long as it's the Lord tell, leading them, um, pray for that. And, you know, I for some reason, uh, Stephen's martyrdom, uh, in Acts continues to go through my mind uh, since this occurred. And and when Christ uh, ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, go into all the world, the Great Commission, right? Preach the gospel. And then he left. But what happened? For the most part, the church stayed in Jerusalem. And with Stephen's martyrdom, persecution came. The church uh, was afraid and they they scattered. And after that time is when the church in Antioch was planted. Uh, they went to Antioch and beyond to other Gentile nations, and the gospel started going forth, so much so that it was actually the church in Antioch who was sending support back to the Jerusalem church because the Jer- Jerusalem church was was struggling. Um, so, you know, we don't know what the Lord's will uh, for this is, and these believers, if they're inside the country or outside, um, you know, we pray that they'll take the gospel, the message with them and share. However, Afghanistan is such a dark place and it needs the gospel. Uh, I mean, there's so few believers. We do hope that there is um, a remnant of the church that will remain there. Um, but to do so uh, requires... Um, the same mindset as Werner to to be willing to give up your life, to to know the cost, to carry your cross um, and be willing to die for the sake of the gospel, because that's really the situation they're in if they choose to stay. Uh, I'm, so, I'm reminded of the verse, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. We can pray against that spirit of fear in our Afghan brothers and sisters, because as you say, it, it would be very easy and it's very reasonable <laughs> to be afraid. Um, but as the scripture says, that's not a spirit from God. So uh, I encourage our listeners, pray for the country of Afghanistan. Uh, pray for Hanalee as she goes through this transition time in her life. Uh, Jeremy, thank you very much for sharing with us today uh, and for your heart and for your willingness to go and to be our hands and feet, uh, voice of the martyrs' hands and feet, uh, to go and 
uh, to have dinner and to carry the burden that, that comes along with that at times like this. Thank you so much, Todd. James tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. VOM established the Families of Martyrs Fund, which offers financial help to the families of those killed or imprisoned for their faith in Christ. You can find out more about the Families of Martyrs Fund under the Donate tab at vomradio.net. Thank you for joining in our conversation this week. Please connect with us online and give us your feedback at vomradio.net. We'll see you next week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.